Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey loves, thanks for tuning in. Today we have a great episode. My colleague, Lindsay Ellison, is joining me today and Lindsay is talking to us about how to actually work with and continue to communicate with someone who is a narcissist. And if you are in the situation of having to co-parent with a narcissist, you've probably read every book there is out there about communicating with a narcissist or dealing with a narcissist, and it's always go no contact. And for those of us who have to actually co-parent with a narcissist, that is not an option. And as soon as you get to that point in the book where it's like, go no contact, you're like, well, fuck you. (laughs) Like, I can't do that, right? So what do you do if you have to continue to have a relationship? Lindsay is a relationship coach, and she is the founder of Start Over Coaching. And she helps people navigate the divorce or breakup and also helps them break free from narcissistic abuse. And she's written this book called Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist. And in it, she offers a step-by-step formula on how to create a communication plan. And she provides a script of empowering magic words that can neutralize the power struggle that you have when you are co-parenting with a narcissist. And I got to tell you, I read this book in maybe an hour, two hours flat. She's It's brilliant because... It's made for busy people. There's not a lot of fluff. There's not a lot of backstory. She gets straight to the point. She tells you exactly what to do, how to do it, and why it works. And I got to tell you, I think it's brilliant. And I put this to the test by posting about it in my Facebook group. And all of the women immediately went to Amazon, downloaded it, and read it. And they were all blown away by it. They were so excited to have a tool that worked for them as opposed to all the other advice out there that doesn't work for people like us. And by the way, if you're not in my Facebook group, you should be if you're a woman. Sorry, sorry, guys. The link to it is in the show notes. So be sure to uh, click that link and join my Facebook group because there's lots of support and great conversations happening in there. So without further ado, I bring you Lindsay Ellison. Lindsay Ellison, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom and your book uh, with my audience. I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here too. And I love your show and Honored to be here and so uh, so grateful for it. You've written this book. I have read, and I got to tell you, I I I love it. Yay! <laughs> tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your book and about you and what you do and and all of the things. <laughs> Let's start with you, and then we'll move into your book. Okay, sure. I am a relationship coach. I don't call myself a divorce coach because I don't have that whole certified divorce coach. I think you do. Um, but I don't. I don't. Oh, I actually. thought you did. Nope. Okay, good. So we're the same thing. I got into coaching about seven years ago. So really before I think the whole coaching thing really started to take off, I was divorced 10 years ago and I 
was in the marriage for a total, you know, married for 10, together for 17. I met him when I was very young, a sophomore year in college. He was in college with me and um, just had a very kind of difficult marriage. And, you know, I was definitely um, married to a narcissist. I didn't know he was one until even after we were divorced. And it was really our... Um, I just knew that I had to get out of the relationship and we were together for so long and my kids at the time were four and seven and it was an incredibly difficult decision to make. Um, but it was just, it was really Christmas Eve, um, I guess, on uh, 2009. Oh my God. So wait, I just have to stop, pause you, pause for a second because we're literally divorced twins. Really? My marriage, Christmas Eve. <laughs> of 2008. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I, we've been coaching for the same amount of time. <laughs> we're both married to nurses. Like everything you're saying, I'm like, is she me? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, that's so Hilarious. funny. Yeah. And I've heard your shows cause you, mm-hmm. you've talked about it. I'm like, Oh my God, this sounds just like my story as well. But, um, but yeah, so it was really Christmas Eve. Like one day I just snapped. I was just done. I mean, it was really all about like he was yelling at me for buying too many Christmas gifts for our children. <sighs> and I just just snapped. I just said, that's it. I'm, I'm done. And, you know, this time next year, I'm not going to do another Christmas and deal with this year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And so um, we really didn't split up until the spring. So I think we were together for, you know, six long, long months of um, you know, dealing with the love bombing and, and the guilt, oh my God, the guilt that I had and, and the accusations that I was cheating and I wasn't, and it was just a, it it really felt as though I was breaking out of prison. Mm -hmm. And I remember just no one got it. No one understood. You know, I had my parents, you know, thinking I was crazy. My, our whole circle of friends thinking I was, and his friends were my friends. I mean, I didn't even have my own friends because I wasn't, you know, he never liked any of them. They always had to be his friends. Right, right, of course. I just remember being in a real fog, but still having this real deep down conviction that I was doing the best thing for me. And I, and I didn't even know why, really. And um, it really wasn't until I got out, of, you know, I was on my own. I had to move out and just that whole like getting out and finding my own place and what to do with the money and all of that. Like no one was guiding me at all. I mean, the therapists were really like restricted in what they could tell me. The lawyer didn't care. And I remember thinking, you know, when I survive this, (laughs) when I get out, I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to help people. And I didn't know how that was going to be at all. And then it really wasn't until um, kind of six or eight months out, I met, I met someone, I met a, a guy and I completely fell in love with him. And he destroyed me. He completely broke my heart. We weren't together for very long, I'd say for just six months. But that relationship and the reflection of my entire past being like thrown at me in such strong force um, made me realize that, oh my God, I'm a narcissist magnet. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and it, my one therapist who I'd been seeing, which was so crazy because I'd been seeing him so for so long, he'd seen my whole marriage fall apart, never mentioned the narcissist word ever. Yeah. And it really wasn't until this other guy came along. He's like, Oh my God, he's a full blown narcissist. And I said, what the hell does that mean? Right. And I rushed over to the bookstore and found one book on it at the time, just one. Yeah. Um, now there are many. And um, and that was kind of the beginning of, of it all. And I remember thinking that 
um, the information that was out there at the time um, was was really shallow. Mm -hmm. And I also um, needed to figure out how to heal from this and how to like get my shit together, basically. Um, And so I really did a lot of work. um, And I really, you see my book at the end where I really blended kind of the clinical aspect of narcissism and codependency and understanding what that truly is, as well as the spiritual aspect of things and just self-love and, and, and who am I and (laughs) all of that stuff and, and gaining back, really, you have to get a new identity because your identity becomes their identity because that's the way they brainwash you into thinking Mm -hmm. as such. I've 50, 50 custody with my kids. They're now teenagers. And so I've been divorced for a while. I've been doing this for a while. And then I mean, he, nothing he says bothers me anymore, but I remember, you know, that, that first one to three years was very hard to navigate a, a, a conversation with him um, without me getting sucked into his, what I call the narcissistic vortex. Yeah. And, um, and just really through, through a lot of workshops and trainings and events that I attended myself from, from just learning it, I was able to articulate my own voice to help people. And so it really started off with me just writing um, and I started just being a contributor to HuffPost Divorce when they were just newly started. So the timing was really good. And then my articles, a lot of them went viral. And uh, people wrote me and said, you know, oh, my God, it's like you were speaking like me. And and so that's how I got into coaching. And so I've been doing this for a while. And uh, I'd say the majority of people that come to me are those, um, you know, in, in the midst of it, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also just that kind of that one to three years, I call it the crunchy time mm-hmm. where you're trying to co-parent and figure out like how to navigate this whole conversation with them because they're still in your life. Right. You can't cut them out completely. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing is that so many, almost everything you read about uh, narcissists and um, breaking up with them is about going no contact. Yes. I and was just about to say that. <laughs> when you have kids, like you don't have that, you don't have that choice. Right. I mean, you know, you, you, so, I guess you sort of can, but it's just, I mean, it makes everything so much more difficult. So we're, we have to walk this very, very gray, um, tight, tight rope, <laughs> right? Like, exactly. And it makes it so much more difficult. Yeah. And then, you know, I think this no contact messaging that we get is confusing because we have Mm -hmm. to have contact. So then typically we build um, the ultimate wall, uh, the border wall (laughs) around our soul. (laughs) Uh Uh, And, um, and, and then we, we look at the narcissist or the, the, the person we're trying to co-parent with as, um, as an enemy or, you know, where we, we don't know how to manage our own emotions around every time they text or email us. So what I typically found is that every time their name pops up on your phone, it's a trigger and it sends you back seven years. Mm-hmm. It sends you back to where you were when you were feeling really weak. And so I would always hear like, I was having a great day. And then he, te- he kept blowing up my phone, asking for X, Y, and Z. And now I'm a complete mess. And Lindsay, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And um, so really early on, I had already kind of just based on my own personal experiences, I was already telling people this formulaic approach that I really wrote the book about, 
which was keeping the entire engagement as a business deal, um, as a business transaction. Every time you are in an engagement with them, it's a business transaction of some sort. And everyone says to me, well, that's great, Lindsay, but how do I do that? Because I hate him, or he's pissing me off so much, or he's hurting the children, or he's hurting, maybe not so much physically, but just you know, damaging them <laughs> in yep. some way. Yep. So how do I have a conversation that's using persuasive words? So that's really how it got started. And I can go into talking about the book. Do you tell yes. me? Let's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that, that, that the idea that every converse, every, and can you say, this is, this is the quote from the books. I wrote it down. <laughs> okay, good. When dealing with a narcissist, every encounter must be thought of as a business deal. And I was like, boom, because it takes all of the emotion out of it, right? We're constantly, whenever we're in dialogue, whenever we, we put ourselves in this, in the position or in the situation or in the mindset of dialoguing right. uh, with a narcissist, we're already, we're already lost, right? This is not, if we have any uh, emotions attached to it. If we are trying to reason with them, if we're trying to get them to just understand, <laughs> like yes. none of it, then they're winning. We are, exactly. we are already lost. Exactly. That's exactly right. And when you are, you know, in, let's just say, and especially if it's involving your children, yep. that's already just right there. It's emotional because you love yep. them. And yep. you're going to do anything for them. So how do you strike that balance between making it a business deal, but it's about your kids, which they aren't business. You know, they're, they're my children. How do, you, how do you go about doing that? And, and really, I think that first chapter is called CEO of your life. And you really have to just, just that alone and thinking of you as the captain of your ship, the CEO of your life, you are in charge. They aren't. Mm -hmm. And just that slight shift in um, looking at yourself in a different lens and looking at them in a different lens is already empowering. Before you even get to choose the words and do all the other stuff, exactly. already that's empowering. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's a really radical mindset shift. I mean, it's really radical. So I don't want to I don't want to sort of gloss over exactly that this is something simple. That like all you have to do is think of it this way. It's like no no no, <laughs> like, that's a com it's a completely radical shift in thinking, but it's one that will literally change everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so my background prior to coaching, I was always in marketing and advertising. Yeah. That's what I've been doing from day one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always ended up being in an ad agency environment, very creative. And what we do when we first take on a client, even pitching a client, when we're trying to get their business, we, the very first thing we do is look at the buyer persona and we create a persona. And that requires us to do a lot of research. We'll, we'll, we'll do qualitative, qualitative research, quantitative, focus groups, um, surveys. We are trying to get inside the mind of this buyer. And ultimately, by getting inside the buyer's mind is we know what ticks. We know what their fears are. We know what might be their insecurities. We know what is going to trigger them to buy. I mean, that is advertising. It's the art of persuasion, uh -huh. right? Yep. Absolutely. And, and, and what's so brilliant about this is that, I might be saying this too soon, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that when you're dealing with a narcissist, they are not trying to come to an agreement with you. They are trying okay. to win a game, 
Yes. And so by shifting this into a sort of marketing exploration of mapping their persona and getting inside their mind, what you're doing is you're, you're evening the playing field. Absolutely. You are, you are turning it into your, you start to play their game. And even though it's their game by playing it, it becomes your game. Exactly. And even that is empowering where you are. And and again, you know, I, I think I'm not the one who's invented this term, but manipulating the manipulator. I think a lot of people kind of cringe at the sound of that because they're like, Oh, but then that's not who I am. And that's not authentic. And that that's more exhausting. And I always go put it back and I'm like, no, what's exhausting is you trying to do the same thing over and over again and getting zero results from it. And being authentic is really speaking from your truth, speaking from your authentic self, which is what? Self-love. And if you can come at it with a place of self-love, I'm in charge, I am CEO um, CEO of my life, then therefore you are speaking authentically. And in fact, you're a bit of a badass when you do it. So whenever mm-hmm. I taught people on um, through coaching, they would come back to me within like, you know, a couple of days because, you know, through my coaching, we might like rewrite the email or a, co- yep. a client will send me a text before they send it off and I will rewrite it. And they, and then they'll have 10 paragraphs, let's say, and I'll put it into two sentences. <laughs> right. And they're like, that's it. That's all I have to exactly. do. I'm like, yes, that's all you have yes, to do. That's all you have to do. Exactly. And once you get the hang of it, it's really nothing will phase you, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it really, and these magic words and phrases that I give, it will start to become a part of your vocabulary where you're, you're not going to even need the book after that. Yes. Yeah, well, they will first. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you'll just get such the hang of it. You'll, you'll right. have memorized it. So <laughs> it, just, it just, I just occurred to me that we're talking about your book, but we haven't named it. What is your book called? Oh, right. Um, it's magic words, how to get what you want from a narcissist. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. Awesome. And magic is an acronym, right? So it's not, this isn't like fairy dust and namaste and, you know, thoughts and prayers. This is actually a roadmap. Exactly. It's exactly Mm -hmm. it. It's the, it's the form. It's what I call the formula. It's the magic formula. And so M, we kind of just talked about it really briefly, but M is the first step, which is mapping their persona. Mm-hmm. So I give you a lot of question and answers, um, kind of a question and answer type format that you're going to do on your own, um, uh, whether it's in your journal or I'm going to be actually putting a digital version of, on my website soon wow. so that you can just download. Okay. But it's um, but through that exercise, I give you a, a fictional scenario using this guy, Bill the Narcissist, to help answer the questions, to help guide you through that mapping their persona. But it's everything about getting inside their head. What was their relationship like with their mother? What was their relationship like with their father? Mm-hmm. What was their childhood like? Mm-hmm. What makes them tick? What scares them? Um, and then that A is now going and using, building off of the first step of mapping their persona. It's taking that information that you just wrote down, and now you're going to assess their fears and insecurities. So I give you a list of questions there on how to do that. And then from there, you're going to come up with, let's say, anywhere from seven to 15 fears and insecurities that you're going to say over and over again through all of these questions. And then I'm going to ask you to tally them of what the number of times you mentioned that. So for instance, 
he fears of, of, of being weak or he, he's uh, insecure about money and not making enough money. So I'll have you tally and then I'm going to get you to pick the top three. And then from there, you're going to now have this vital information, mm -hmm. which is so awesome because if you've been married to this person, you have this data. You know this man so intimately, so deeply, or woman, depending on, right? Uh, right. You, which you, you address, you do have a, a thing in the book that addresses that, that, that this book is written as if, you know, from the, as if the narcissist is the man, but that is not always the case. And we, we are talking about it in that way. Cause I think we're both women who were married to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. But yeah. And it's so it's, you do, you know, them, you know, all, you have all of this information. It's data. It's data. That's, it is. It's data. And that's what I love to say when you really think of it as data. So I think, you know, what, what people refer to as data is, at, is trauma. And, and I don't like that word because it puts you in this victim mm -hmm. mindset. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was traumatic. Okay. But it's not traumatic anymore. It doesn't have to be. So take trauma and translate it over to data. And you have all this information on him all these years. So now use it, use it to your advantage. And once you've done that, you then, where we go to the G part is through every engagement. I think this is the biggest mistake people make is through every engagement. I don't care if it's through the smallest text before you hit reply, before you answer the phone, you have to ask yourself, what is my goal yeah. with this engagement? And what ha the, the thing that's brilliant about this step is that when you're dealing with a narcissist, you are always playing defense unless yeah. you are strategically and consciously and intentionally playing offense. And what that question, what is your goal? It puts you on, it, it, it gives you back control yeah. of the, uh, right? It, it has you be the one playing the game. Right. And- when you answer that question, it'd be great if you were to even write it down in a journal before you even do it, because you can really get honest. It's so funny because just earlier today, I was on a, co a coaching call with a client of mine. It's a man. And he had, in preparation for the phone call, he emailed me the email he had sent to his ex-wife. And I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh God, did you hit send on that? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh gosh. And it was, it, you know, he was basically talking co-parenting stuff, you know, like shuffling the kids around. And then every so often he was making digs at her because he's very, very angry. Yeah. And I said, so um, I wrote him back and I said, what was your goal with this engagement? And he actually was really honest. He, you know, he listed five and he said, you know, one is to, you know, communicate with her about whatever vacation, spring break and all that stuff. But then a couple other things was, I want to hurt her. Yeah. I want her to feel guilty because she cheated on him and she doesn't seem to care. Right. I want her to feel guilty and um, I want her to be jealous of me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, at least you were at honest. Least right, so exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Except that, but I, she's not probably not going to feel any of those things. She did, I, and I wrote, and I actually replied back and, and put my comments in red. I'm like, she doesn't care. She doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Uh, she doesn't care. And maybe she'll care about that one, mm -hmm. but the rest she won't care about. Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't care if you have your life together. And I said, the more you are trying to quote, injure them and hurt them, they're sitting over there laughing at you. Yeah. 
You know, they just don't care. And the more that you're trying to prove that you have your life together, the, the sort of more clear it is that you don't, right? <laughs> like, because if you really had your, if you had your exactly. life, exactly. But if you were really confident and if you were really over it, you wouldn't care. Bingo. Exactly. You just said the words right out of my mouth. And, and, you know, we finally ended up getting on the, on the phone call and I, I said, you've got to ask yourself before you go on this tirade of what is your goal. And quite simply at the end of the seven paragraphs, he finally admitted to me that his only real goal, tangible goal was getting, getting her to agree on uh, taking the kids away for spring break. That was it. Mm. That was it. Right. And then I gave him a two sentence suggestion and um, using, you know, one of my magic words or phrases. And he's like, oh my God, why didn't I think about that? And I said, because you didn't ask me before you hit send. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, like I said, I have uh, shared custody. You know, he, he is, um, I guess on the spectrum, not as horrible as so many of my mm-hmm. clients do have. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely get into a stalemate where I want X and he wants Y. And I, you know, in the early days I used to just, I was just so pissed off because I wanted him to hurt the way I was hurting. And I learned, I, I finally had to learn this. I'm like, he's always been hurting. I'm just choosing to be hurt with him. Right. You know? And so now I, I say to people, I say, there's, there's a, a phrase that I use about compassion and you can have guarded compassion. Mm-hmm. You can have boundaries with empathy. Yep. And that means you can, you can, once you start to, and I talk about this in my book about really being able to see this narcissist in your life as a child. Yes. A yes. Underdeveloped mm-hmm. man child. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's really important, right? Cause it doesn't, and here's the thing. So often what we do is, I talk about this a lot in my work too, is that people, people do have compatible, especially people like us, right? Who are empaths and who, you know, codependent people who tend to be the, you know, the perfect match for the narcissist. Um, yep. And, you know, we can see like, A, we can see the gold nugget in the buried in the pile of shit and we can, yeah. you know, overblow our vision of that and just know that if we could just get to that gold nugget, everything would be fine. But meanwhile, we're digging through shit. And we can have compassion. And sometimes we have too much compassion. Well, he was damaged this way when he was a child. And so he doesn't really mean it and blah, 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 blah. Right. And then we put our own uh, feelings aside in favor of that. Right. We allow ourselves to be trampled because, well, he's only doing it because, and he doesn't mean it. And, you know, eventually we get to the point where where I, I talk, I tell my clients that you can have compassion for that without co-signing it without, um, making yourself a victim of it. Right. Yes. And you can use that assessing their fears and insecurities when you go through that step and you really see, Mm -hmm. I, I love this exercise, probably most out of the entire book of just getting you to think about where he came from, the origins of this narcissism. Because clinically, right, clinical professionals who talk about codependency and narcissism, we came from the same parents. It's so true. It's just that like, it was like at the chromosomal split, something like we went one way. No, it's exactly. It's like at the road less traveled, which, you know, you're at a fork in a road and there's the codependency path and then there's the narcissism path, but we're struggling. We're both struggling from the same which is why we were attracted to each other from the beginning because it becomes this toxic magic, right? This toxic chemistry. 
Yep. It's the narcissistic wound. I mean, that's the thing is to see them as, as they're wounding, which is similar, so similar to ours. And this is what I really like about your book is that this assessing their fears, right? Mapping their persona and assessing their fears is not about, um, it's, this is not nefarious. This is not like, and now I'm going to use my knowledge as power and wield it against him. And, you know, it's like, I mean, yes, but, but not in a nefarious way. Really, it's in service of your kids and getting shit done. Yeah. And no, and no and, longer being wounded by that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it really is to inspire cooperation. And I think that word cooperation, a narcissist sounds, you know, it's a paradox, right? I mean, how do you cooperate? But it's getting them to think as though that they've won, where they feel good. And you, you're, you're, <laughs> you're kind of stopping them in their tracks and they don't even know you did it. Yes. Yes. It's kind of brilliant. So, okay. So you assess their fears um, and you, oh, you set your goals. So the goal, we're at, we're at goals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You identify your goal in every engagement that you have. Um, and I'll give you, you know, I'll give an example. It happened to me last week um, with my ex and I have a 13, I have two boys, 16 and 13. Mm -hmm. And um, my 13 year old is a a male version of me. I mean, he really is a lot like me. So he and his dad are often oil and water. And, um, but he's getting very stressed out because his dad is constantly, he's a control freak. And that's one of the main reasons why I had to get out. He's controlling in a very abusive, bullying way. He never gives you your space. And the more space that you try to get, he'll make sure you don't get it. And, um, and here he is 13, almost 14, really, you know, what, what do teens want? They want independence. Right. right? And, and he's doing the opposite of that. So he had done something and said something to my son. Um, and my son had called me while he was over at his dad's house and he was really upset. He never does that. Um, he was very, I could tell the, the level of stress that was in his voice and, Man, I mean, that mama bear, can't, I wanted to go over and like get a shotgun and like k- kill him. Yeah. Like, I mean, my, my ex, just because I was so angry. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, I mean, like, just just think, I always say, you know, the, the logic, logical will never work with the illogical. Right. So here I am being logical and he's not logical, although he thinks he is. So the old me, right, like post-divorce me would have said something and texted him something really nasty and made a lot of threats and, and a lot of injury. Like, this is how you were when I was married, when we were married. And remember, you, you know, but I knew not to do that because that doesn't work. So I actually used one of my words, which was, you know, um, I came off as very compassionate, like identifying that the two of them are having conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a secret. It's obvious. And I said something like, you seem stressed. What can I do to help? Yeah. And that's one of my magic words in the book uh-huh. is you seem stressed. What can I do? Yep. So basically that's code for you're being an asshole. Right. Stop it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not saying that because that would be combative. Right. And they love it when you're combative because then they feel like, oh, she's in my, she's in my arena. Now we get to fight. But they also really love it when you are compassionate and kind and sort of it feels to them like they're, uh, you're kind of up their ass. Oh yeah. Right. So like you seem stressed. What can I do to help to us? It's a strategy to them. It's adulation and they want it. 
Yes. And so many narcissists have mother issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they really do. It's not even like yeah. a, a cliche. I mean, they really just unconditional mothering that they needed. So, um, which is why we came into their lives and because we're such empaths and we love to mother, they're like, yay, I found a new mom. And you're like, awesome. And then you fall for it. Right. So, <laughs> um, so by saying these kind of nurturing phrases, it's making them feel like it's allowing them to be a little vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. And where you're like, I've got this, I can take care of this. What can I do to help? And I remember, I mean, you know, he then said something like, yeah, it's been really awful. And so what did he do? He turned into victim, classic move. I know him so well. I mean, I, it's like, I, I really do. So yes. he turned into a victim, told me about his job and told me about his horrible commute. By the way, he's had this horrible commute for 25 years. Uh-huh. So this isn't new, but according to him, I guess it is. And so what he wanted me to do, I could see what this, what, where this was going, was that he was setting me up to basically give him a hall pass for his bad behavior. And I didn't, you know, and I said, nope, I'd like to help. Um, Maybe I can, you know, I'm suggesting basically more ways that I can be with my son on his time. That's Mm. what I wanted. And he said, okay, because he realized somehow in my, you know, and I'm kind of only giving a a high level of this long, long texting that we did. But at the end of the day, I got, this is a freaking miracle. This is why I'm telling you to all of your listeners that the book works because I got him to go to therapy with my son. Like Mm. this guy thinks therapists are complete quacks. And, um, and, but I did it in a way where he, he really didn't have a choice Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I was like, well, all right, well, he's just going to want to be with me more. And I wouldn't want that to be in your relationship. That would really suck. I would really hate for our son not to have a relationship with you. And it's really turning into that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm on your side. (laughs) Right. And your, and, goal, and your goal is to get him to treat your son better. Yeah, that was my goal. Exactly. Yep. yep. And my goal was to take the, the pressure off of my son because I, mm-hmm. I could see how yeah. stressed he was. And, and by the way, I always say, if you have teens, this is a book you can definitely share with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've shared, I've given it to my kids. Hey, read this. Um, but they always say that, mom, we don't need it when we have you in the house to always tell you how to, I always coach them through this relationship because truly at the end of the day, I would love, I don't want to take their father away. I want them to have the best relationship as possible. But when I start to see my kids stressing so much, then I'm like, oh, that's, that's going to be a problem because I'm, there's only so much of that I'm going to allow. And when, as I've coached my kids through these magic words and phrases, it's such, such easy words that they can use when they're over at dad's house, you know, for instance, with my ex being as anxious as he is, and I have coached my kids why I've mapped my ex's persona over and over and over to my kids so that they know how he was raised. Remember, I would say, remember how grandma and grandpa did this? And, you know, they know his, his childhood. Um, And I will say, you know, he never got the nurturing from his parents to be the super successful guy. It's very important to him. Uh, We know what his fears or insecurities are. I said, so when he's pushing you and pushing you and pushing you, he's having an anxiety attack basically. And by you telling him, by you ignoring him is only going to make it worse. Right. So another one of my magic words or phrases is everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I keep telling, and so Nico, my, my younger son keeps saying like, 
mom, that's like brilliant. That's the brilliant one. That's my favorite one. Because um, when he's asking my son over and over about whatever test, he'll say that everything's going to be okay. I'm on it. Yeah. Right. And then it instantly takes the pressure off. Now, when you talk to your kids about this and they read your book, I mean, how aware are they of their dad as like, I, I, my, you know, I don't identify my ex as a narcissist to his, uh, to my son. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I work with him on certain things. They actually, they're, they're doing well right now. They, you know, they, they phase in and out, right? Like, how old are they? <laughs> he's 13. Okay. He's 13. And but he, he worships his dad. He's actually a mini dad. He's exactly yeah. the same. They're that like, was my first son. They're like peas in a pod, the two of them you know, he worships his dad, but also, you know, in, at, at times, probably like, you know, a year or two ago, they were clashing a little bit. Um, and I, and I would say, you know, this is how, oh, this is how daddy needs for you to talk to him and, you know, Mm -hmm. try this. And I would give him these things, but I wouldn't talk to him about his father as a narcissist. So talk to me about that and your experience with that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I was keeping it from them for a long time, but the problem is, is all the work that I do, you know, um, it's really hard to hide from it um, just because of my professional nature in this business. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was, um, when I was newly separated and I, they were little, they did really, both of them just worshiped him and it was very hard. They were so confused. Um, I couldn't explain to them why. And yeah. and I couldn't even, I even write this in my introduction to the book. I couldn't even explain why. Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. was the hardest part. I mean, well, why are you leaving? Well, I don't, you know, you're like, I don't really, well, was he abusive? Well, um, kind of. Well, how? I, I don't really know. I can't explain it. It's just, right. it makes you feel completely crazy. Um, but over time, I really was able to take the gray and make it more black and white. The kids really were angry with me, I think, for yeah. the first you know, few years. And it really wasn't until they, they got into adolescence. And it, it, it all started once where I had written a Huffington Post article. I had it up on my browser, on my computer. Um, it just got published, so I was just checking it out. And um, my son, my oldest, who was probably maybe 11 or 12 at the time, was on, you know, my laptop was on my, in the kitchen, like on the counter and he wanted to look at something and the article was right there and he read it and he didn't notice the byline, which was my name. He just started reading it. Uh And it was one of those like the top 10 things you should know whether you're a narcissist or not. And that's when he said, mom, and I I wasn't writing in first person. It was just a factual article. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mom, you know, that sounds like dad. He said, is dad a narcissist? And I, I really like, I'm like, oh God, how do I get, I'm like, well, I said, yes, he is, but it's nothing, it's nothing bad. You know, I, I, I don't say it and I I never bash him in that way. And, and when, you know, when I talk to them about their dad, I never say, oh, your dad's a narcissist. It's just, I actually really explain to them is it's, it is what it is. It's a personality disorder. Right. Exactly. They can't help it on so many levels. They just can't. Totally. And, you know, and there's so many ways it's like, yeah, I'm a codependent. Like, (laughs) you know, I think that, um, it's, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it it is, it's, it feels different, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, you know, when you, there's a spectrum by the way too, right. I think we should be clear that when we talk about narcissism, there is a spectrum. There is Mm -hmm. just basic, basic, you know, narcissist. 
Um, and then there's narcissistic personality disorder on the other end of the spectrum and malignant narcissism. And that's a whole other sort of ball game, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, I always say it's a spectrum disorder and, um, and you know, there's a sliding scale and you can read some books and find out where they are exactly on the scale. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's, it's all relative to, to your experience with that particular person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, and, and I, I could see a lot of people disagreeing with me on this, but I, I know with my kids, but I think, um, I have raised my boys to be, you know, super knowledgeable and understanding of all people and to take into consideration that how one person thinks and acts isn't how you think and act. So it's interesting that what I thought this divorce was going to be like the worst thing ever for them and then it was going to completely screw their lives up and they'd be in therapy forever. Mm -hmm. It has really helped give us a lot of conversations. And I'll sometimes say, especially to my 13-year-old, I'm like, babe, I am so sorry you have to deal with this. It's not something the average 13-year-old should have to deal with, but it's the way the cards are dealt and we got to deal with it. You know, yeah. that we got to work through this because if you're not going to learn this now, you're going to learn this in the workplace. You're going to have a boss who's Absolutely. difficult. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yep. yep. And so I really try to give them kind of more of a practical look at it and not from a victim standpoint of like, oh, you know, your dad left us or your dad did this. And I don't, it's just, I always say, it's just the way it is. It's just it's yeah. choices we make and then we got to live with our choices, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's something that for anyone who's like, well, do I tell my kids they're a narcissist? I mean, he's a narcissist. I think it's really up to you. You can use that word or not, but definitely as your kids get older and they, you see them struggling with this particular parent, I think it's best to, to explain to them like, this is okay. Now you're starting to see it, you know, <laughs> um, right. here's how I do with it. Let me give you the same tools because right. if you give them these tools now, you are reducing their chances of marrying their mother or father. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, so down the road. The Here's the way I look at it. I mean, I don't think you need to label it, but you do have these tools, right? So if your kids are starting to have the same issues with their other parent that you were having, yeah. you can provide them tools without labeling them. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we have to be careful, especially with younger kids, that they tend to see themselves as a combination of both parents. And so mm -hmm. if you say that there's something sort of clinically, you know, uh, wrong or, you know, there's like a diagnosis on one side, they, they'll internalize that and think that they're half of that. Yeah. So, you know, we have to be really a little bit cautious about that, especially with younger kids, but you can still talk them through all of this without naming it, without saying it, without, you know, I, I have a dear friend who co-parents with a malignant narcissist, like super abusive, super bad, but you know, it's 50, 50 custody mm -hmm. and his daughter is eight and he never somehow by the grace of God and all that all of his glory, all of my friend Matt's glory, not God's glory, um, uh, somehow because of all the work that he's done in therapy and how hard he's been working um, to recover from this marriage, he never badmouths his daughter's mom. He, mm -hmm. never, he never says, but his daughter gets it. Good. She's, She's extraordinary. She's very astute. And from a very young age, she was naming things that were like, whew, you know, no six-year-old should be naming. But at right. the same time, like she's very intuitive. But, you know, she'll now say like, 
gosh, daddy, you know, it's really different when I go to mommy's house, she does this, this, and this, and he'll just be like, I know kiddo and I'm sorry. And, but that's, you know, those aren't the rules here. And this is how we do things here. And she's really able to um, see which parent is actually taking care of her and, you know, and has her best interest at heart. And as his therapist says, you know, she's not going to be eight forever. So as she grows up, you know, as these kids grow up, they really start to have more of more choice and they see things more clearly. And, you know, as long as we stand in our power and we keep, I always talk about keeping our side of the street squeaky clean, our kids are going to, kids later on, they're going to, they're going to figure it out. They'll know. I had an interesting call with my aunt, like, I don't know, a year ago. And, um, well, she and I don't talk very often, but when we talk, it's like marathon three hour phone calls. And Uh she is the sister of my mother. And my mother died when she was very young, when she was 34 from a car accident. So I never got to know her. And, um, I had this conversation where I, I don't know what sparked it, but she started telling me the generations of generations of dysfunctional marriages, um, and, uh, suicides that have gone on, um, you know, grandfathers and, and alcoholism and abusive marriages. And, and, you know, it comes all the way down to as short as I can see, which is my grandmother, great grandmother, my aunt, my mother, because my dad's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And she said something to me like, Lindsay, you're, you are breaking the family cycle. Yes. And yes. You know, and, and I hope I am. I mean, I, 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 I always say I'm a recovering codependent. Like it's not yeah. something that I can always fall back and do it. I do fall back and do it. I have my yeah. triggers. Yeah. And I say that um, if, you know, as much as you're dealing with your ex and you do have kids with them, you know, you, you have a, a responsibility to get to know and understand this so you can pass on everything that you, the learning should not stop with you. No. It, definitely get passed down to the kids in a helpful, nurturing way, not a bashing, you know, uh, alienation, parent alienation. We don't want that to happen. But, you know, I just gave a talk at a university back in the fall um, to a bunch of college girls, uh, boys too, but it mostly was women. And um, I'm, I'm really trying to get to this younger audience group so that they don't make the same poor choices in dating and, um, you know, dating an abuser, et cetera. And I had a line of women come up to me afterwards and it was not what I expected. You know what they all said to me? They said, you just helped me understand my father. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's yes. what they said. And oh, they, but here's the thing. If they, that's the key that yes. opens the door to breaking the cycle because when, when you understand your father and you can start to heal the wounding that you received, then you are going to make different choices. Exactly. Exactly. And it does take one generation. There've been studies done on this recently that it really takes one generation to break the cycle. And we're the first generation who's doing this work. We're the first generation really, really doing it. And we can stop this shit in its tracks for our own lineage. Yes, exactly. And I'm just, um, and that's why I think um, whether you choose to hand a book over to your kids or just give them like, as if they're still your, still my ideas as if they're your own. I'm okay with that. (laughs) You know, 
you say, hey, you know, here's a phrase that you could use with your dad. And then they'd be like, oh, mom, that's really interesting. You could do it that way. But if, as long as you keep teaching them tools to empower them and have magic words of, of influence, you could be helping them through their jobs. You could be helping them through their boyfriend-girlfriend relationships as they get older. And that, I think, is over time how we do stop it. Yes. It, I mean, it really is. Um, I want to just, you know, so so MAGIC is an acronym, right? We're, we're MAP the persona, assess their fears. Set, or insecurities. And insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um, set goals. And then identify words. So we yes. sort of talked a little bit about that. Can you sort of give a little overview about the word, the identification of words? Yeah. So what I do is I offer 10 words or phrases that you can use um, as an example. And Mm -hmm. I provide scripted, three kind of scripted approaches to each. Um, One, you know, one that's um, relative to my fictional scenario with Bill the narcissist, but then I give two others that might just be applicable to your situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then before each word, I, I talk a little bit about how you can use them. Um, and I and I really try to preface this and footnote this a couple times in my book that it's not foolproof in that it's not like it's prescriptive, right? Where you're going to say this word and suddenly everything's great. It's it's a two pronged approach. One by you thinking and using these words is already changing your energy right away, right? Yeah. It's changing yep. your putting a totally different lens on. It's like taking off your old glasses and putting on a new and looking at the problem differently. Yes. Um, but then the other thing too is by using the words, whether you get exactly what it is that you want, what it's doing, it's neutralizing the power struggle. It's like putting baking soda on acid. It's just like hopefully just calming both of you down. And when you are um, dealing with someone who's high conflict, a narcissist, or whatever name we want to put them or right. call them, is that these people can't have adult conversations. So I use actually um, an example. I don't know if you remember this, but I said, if your child is asking you yeah. to have a candy bar yep. <laughs> right before dinner um, and you say, no, you know, I, I, we're about to have dinner, and then they have a temper tantrum, do you start to rationalize and explain why? Mm, no, because they don't get it. Um, do you start calling your child names? No, because you know that would not be productive. No, what you end up doing is you redirect them or you're going to use a certain words or phrases that you know that is going to work on their personality. Or you might say, you know what? You know, um, if uh, after dinner, we're going to get ice cream if, if you know, you're, you're offering them some kind of benefit. And that's what we have to do every time we engage. And so if we are starting to come down to their level, it's never going to work. So by using these words or phrases, it will really help you think of them like, okay, they're just, they're like children. Yep. I can do this. I use that example all the time with my clients. I'm like, Good. Think of this as parenting. Think of this as you're having a conversation with a three-year-old. <laughs> Like it's like sleep training. I talk about sleep training. It's like the more that you, you know, so true. You go in every single time. They're just going to get louder and louder and louder until you come in because they know that you're eventually going to come in. So stop. So true. Yep. I mean, it's it's hilarious. I was reading it. I was like, yes, that's what I tell people too. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I've had um, you know clients. 
send me text messages of screenshots of like when they use a word or phrase and they're like, oh my God, this really is magic. This is boom. You know, and a lot of times it's, it may not be an actual like one plus one equals two. Like I use these two words and then I get a new, you know, a new response. But over time, if you just keep doing, and I even say that, even if it's not giving you yielded desirable results immediately, keep doing it. Just like you said, sleep training over time, you get trained and they get trained Yes, for you to yeah. not engage. Yep. Yep. Sleep training is as much about training us as it is about training. It's us. so true. Oh my God. I have trauma from that. Just, you I know, do, like, do I go upstairs? He's crying. I want to go and oh hug him. God. I mean, it's so hard. So hard. Oh my gosh. So, and then the last, the last part is communication. Yeah. So that's basically kind of the final chapter that mm-hmm. just puts it all together. How do you do it? Yeah. And, and really giving you kind of that, it's like me pushing you off the ledge and going, you can do this, you know, and, um, and, and to, you know, where I help, I hope to manage your expectations and that it's, it's, um, it may not yield positive results instantly, although sometimes it does. I mean, I'm always amazed when, when I do it. It really depends on the scenario. Um, I think this too can be really helpful if you're in the process of a divorce. You can really, um, you know, one of endorsements on my back of my book is from a divorce lawyer. I mean, he gives this book to his clients because it helps if you were to hit, like fill out all this information of their persona, mm-hmm. their fears and insecurities, and you give this to your lawyer, like here, here's the homework I did. They're like, oh my God, I love you. Right. <laughs> yes. Because you're giving them data that they don't have on this person. Yep. 100%. So you can put, so then it's going back and then every time you have um, an engagement, you go back to your mapping their persona. You go to, you know, you look at your list. And I often um, suggest of, if you're going to write this down, you know, take a screenshot of it, put it on your phone so you have it as a photo in your photo library or in your notes section of your mobile phone. Um, I have this book that is um, small enough and the size of it where you could fit into your purse, your glove compartment, you know, yeah. keep this handy with you because it's really going to help you. Um, it's like your lifeline for a while yeah. until you learn a new pattern. And it's, it's really brilliant. I, I think one of my favorite things about this book is that it is short and it is concise and it is not full of, you oh, know, fluff yeah. or, you know, when we're at this place, just fucking tell me what to do. Oh my God. Right. Just fucking <laughs> tell me what to do. And the book is short enough that I read it in, you know, a morning, like, yeah, you, you just, you can just get through it. And, um, I highly, highly, highly recommend it to everybody. It's on Amazon. It will be linked in the show notes, obviously. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. And, um, writing a book is really hard because you're like, I never have time to do it. And I think, yep. And it's in my head. And then, and then I always have this thing of like, the more I write means I'm not making money. Right. Cause I'm like, I can't take on clients. So it's like, or, or yep. you do take on clients and then you have no weekends. And, and, so, the book. <laughs> and then you can't write the book. And that was probably an excuse that I've told myself over the past five years. Cause I had this book and another book in mind. Then I was like, Oh my God, I just can fucking work this book. And so I did it and I'm so happy it's out there. It really is like giving birth. And, um, and, and it's, 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 I would never write something if I didn't know it wouldn't help people. And I, and I know it will. So I I really hope uh, your listeners can, can take part in it. 
Absolutely. Yep. I am, you know, like I told you, I'm already uh, plugging it in my Facebook group and, <laughs> and on the podcast. Cause I think it's, I think it's really worth it. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate it. And you're so um, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thanks for the work that you do. I love, you know, I love collaborating. I love collaborating with women who are doing the same stuff and walking the same path. Yeah, no. And I, um, I actually have a podcast too. Now I, it's not, I haven't given any shows to it in over a year because of the book. Yeah. But, um, if you guys want to check out my podcast at start over, find happiness, I interview, all I do is interview experts in it. And I, yeah. I, I loved it because it was my one hour out of the week <laughs> where I could talk to other people other than me. Um, right. where, where, because we all, are here to help and we all have our own unique voice and we all will say something that will resonate, you know, differently with other people. And, um, that's why I also like to kind of collaborate as well. We're all here together to do the exact same thing is to help people get past their shit. (laughs) Absolutely. Amen, sister. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I so enjoyed this conversation and uh, I look forward to everyone reading your book. Well, thank you. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.